Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. The Edits series by Korn Publishers is comprised of the concise guides to the full gamut of Jewish thought, from the Torah to modern halakha, or Jewish law, and mashavah, Jewish philosophy. The late Rabbi Adin Evan Israel Steinsaltz was one of the leading thinkers of the modern age and the most prolific author of Jewish thought and commentary since the Middle Ages. Tune in as we speak with Rabbi Evan Israel's son, Rabbi Meni Evan Israel, about his father's life and work and about the concise guides. Rabbi Meni is the executive director of the Steinsaltz Center. You're listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm Michael Morales, your host. Rabbi Meni, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thank you. So tell us about your father, Rabbi Adin Evan Israel Steinsaltz. Tell us something about his life and work as a rabbi and, and a father. Sure. Um, so my father was born in Israel in 1937, was not in Israel yet, was still in the English mandate. Uh, I grew up in a house that was very unique. He grew up in a very extremely secular environment. He, in all accounts, was uh, a brilliant student. I, I will say even a genius. As my grandfather used to say, a brain like that arrived once every 200 years. Why me? Um, he definitely was a, a something of a unique, unique person. Um, you f- start finding God at a very young age. Again, we don't know if it's 11 or 13 or 15. He never talked about it, so it's all we gather through the years. He, um, he he finally made a decision and became religious uh, and actively religious. Again, brilliant mind. I mean, the the man used to uh, concentrate for hours on end, hours on end on on particular spiritual or intellectual concept that it, it's tremendous. I mean, he, he, he wrote to my mother that she should not be afraid if she see him standing in a point for five, six hours at a time contemplating idea. Now, I never saw him, I, I never saw five, six hours. I saw him many times doing things, you know, for long, you know, constantly in a very long period of time. It was very impressive. In, um, in his early 20s, he became the youngest uh, principal in Israel. Um, and immediately after that, he um, he decided, I think, after a couple of years, that teaching was not really his direct repertoire, dealing with a classroom setting. He, he taught many, many, many hours of informal education, sometimes informal, but not as a principal, so to speak. Um, and he, he started working on his... Monumental translation of the, the Talmud, Aramaic Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud to Hebrew. And the idea was always very simple. The idea was that the Talmud is a very, it's a large, massive work. For one of the largest, uh, archives, historical archives, historical books that we have in existence today. I mean, if we know that the ancient uh, mystical library of Alexandria was burned and the great library of Athens was burned, the library of the Jews, the library of the Jewish people, which was encompassed in that Talmud, survived, mainly because everybody learned it. 
talking about a, a work of uh, almost 5,500 pages, long and, and complex, not even easy, that um, one have to, to really contemplate what it means, divide on a variety of topics from legends to law to commandments to any topic in life you have. I mean, some of the stuff dealing with morality, some dealing with sexuality, dealing with intellect, some learning, charity, you name it. The problem is that the book, being written about 1,500 years ago, is written in archaic Aramaic, which we can find a similar concept in the book of Daniel, in the Bible, and some references in the book of Ezra, but not more than that. This is a full language, full conversation, and um, clearly the, the, the need was to translate it to to the people. So he specifically used modern Hebrew to translate it. So that was his main main work. Um, in between, he created all kinds of schools. He was the first, later, about in the 80s, he was the first official institution in Russia, recognized by the Russian government as the first religious institution um, that was really recognized by the state of, of the, you know, the former Soviet Union as the first really revival of Jewish people. There were underground organizations all the time, all the 70 years of the Russian Russian government, but definitely, 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 he was the first one. Russia, of course, developed in the Jewish community there is tremendous. He, um, so that was his main work. Took 45 years to accomplish. We actually, last, we finished it officially, the translation of the Hebrew edition was 2010. And then I uh, arrived to his office as his executive director, and I told him, so um, I'm going to retire now, sit on the chair and then smoke your you know, long pipe. You can imagine the big, you know, and the rocking chair on the porch, you smoke and I said, right, sure. So he said, come, bring me to, bring me some, uh, some, you know, some, some uh, project and we will consider them together. So I said, you know, out of my mind, we have a commentary on the Mishnah, which is earlier than Talmud, a commentary on the Bible. We can do the Talmud in English, and we can do also commentary on the Maimonides Book of Law. And I thought, you know, normal people, right? You had a life project like the Talmud. You take one project, and that becomes your secondary legend or secondary life achievement. So he said, okay, we'll do them all. Uh, he started with a commentary on the Bible that eventually was translated, of course, to English too. But it was um, was done every day. You used to speak one hour teaching one or two chapters of Bible. The beginning was also English and Hebrew, but then only in Hebrew. And he went through the entire Bible in less than three years. And from there, we, we took team and we edited and we created the Steinhoff Bible, available in your local Amazon store. <laughs> um, later on, he, him and his team of students accomplished a commentary on Maimonides' Book of Law. It's a 14-volume work. His last and final major project was his commentary on the Mishnah, which is written around second century in more in Hebrew and translated again, commentating in Hebrew. Um, he won tremendous amount of prizes, including the last recognition he got was actually from the U.S. Congress. The U.S. Congress, uh, upon accepting his books or receiving his books in the Library of Congress, had a proclamation in in uh, in the Library of Congress and in the Congress about his work, which was a tremendous thing, a tremendous literally value to the entire world. So that's him in a nutshell. Um, 
as a son, you know, of course, it was a challenge. It's normal. I mean, uh, there's nothing you can do. Famous fathers. As I like to say, my psychologist already bought a third house in Monaco. He says dedicated by many. It's fine. You know, it's part of the part of the challenge. I read somewhere that your father was compared to Rashi, called the Rashi of our generation. That is a huge compliment. Yeah. I, look, and in, in a lot of ways, it's true. I mean, the, the basic concept of Rashi um, was to bring the text was complex then, this is almost a thousand years ago, to the masses or to the masses who can read. We know that the, the Jewish community, even in Europe, retained the ability of reading um, most likely more than any other, more than any other uh, uh, nation, so to speak. So, yeah, so definitely, definitely do um, this. And again, he wrote not just on the biblical typical, uh, what we call the Jewish canon, which constitutes really four books, small book, the Bible, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and the law. He also wrote a vast, commun- a vast commentary on a mystical book called the Tanya, which is the, the foremost book of the Lubavitch Hasidim, you know, the guys of the menorah you see everywhere in the United States. That, that was the big, you know, he wrote a major, com- a major commentary on that too, which, uh, Another volume of that particular translation and commentary on the Tanya is being produced as we speak, be published in the United States in the next few months. So, yeah, he definitely, I think there's a merit to it. There's a merit to that statement. And it's not just his ability to write a lot, but his gift of being able to reduce the wisdom of ages and to present it in a way that common people can understand. Right. And I, I remember asking him when, when, um, when I started work for him, actually, he came to me and asked me to work for him, which I was very happy because, uh, you know, I, I was not, it was not something I was thinking about personally, but he asked me to come and work for him. And, you know, I come back to Israel. I was in the States. I was in the University of Maryland. I was in other places. And, um, I arrived back to Israel and, and I tried to figure out what, what is the big deal? You know, I have to work with the organization. Yes, it's my father, but, you know, I have to work with the nation to find the right wording, how to define what we call the elevator speech, right? How you define what we do. So basically, he told me that there are three principles. Two of them are synonymous, just two sides of the same coin, and the third is a bit unique. So the first thing is that our, po- our position is that let my people know. And by people, he meant everybody that he can reach and teach. There are his people, and they have to know. Faith is, is a tremendous thing, but knowledge is bigger. Knowledge is better. Because once I know something, when I, once I understand something, my faith in it or my, my devotion to it or my commitment to it become exponentially larger and bigger. And, and, I, I, and I relate to people better because I understand. I, I can talk about it from different perspectives. So that's the positive. The negative is that I, you said, I really hope that none of my family will be uh, ignoramus. I don't want, I don't mind to become heretics, but ignoramus is unacceptable. You have to know. So that's basically the same coin, just two sides of it. And then I asked him, okay, that's very nice. So what is the big deal about your commentary? What, what is the, what is, what is, what it is? What, what is the importance of it? And he said, you understand that the importance of it is what I did and the way you describe it. We take, we take, let's take the Bible because it's easier thing to, to uh, convey. I took the Bible that has thousands of commentators, 
even if when you read, even if you read the Bible in the King James Version, the translator, who based on all the translators, choose certain word that they use to describe a certain, certain paragraph or even a certain word, and you have to to bring them all together. Said so my goal is to take all those plethora of commentators. The man also had uh, very close to photographic memory, so it was easier for him. And to bring a one-liner, a one-line that basically compiled and compelled all of those people to work together. So he can bring a commentary that in verse number 2, 3, 4, and 7 will be Rashi, and 6, 8, and 14 will be Ibn Ezra, and then will be a modern commentator, and he will use modern understanding of what certain things are. So that was the unique thing, is this very, very clear line that, in a way, might be simplistic, but not simple. It's very simplistic because it's very clear. It's very obviously that he's, he's trying to get rid of all the noise, noise outside and make, and make sure you have the right line. Now, obviously, obviously, there's never ending for that. You can always, always, always find find somebody else. You always find somebody, another commenter. There's always more information. Always. But that's where it is. I mean, the human, human ability to write and to talk and to explain and to whatever the, the, whatever you want to call it is, is unlimited. It's infinite. When I, I learned, I'm teaching now several times in, in during the week, and every time you teach somebody, it depends on the background, nationality, the language you speak, the ability of comprehending a text, even though if you read text which traditionally is very clear, it's a hard work. People have a different way to reading it. And that's the reason his biggest challenge was to find the right way to make one line be accessible, available, and people can relate to it. As you mentioned a moment ago, let my people know is the slogan or motto for the Steinsaltz Center. Tell us more about the overall work of the Steinsaltz Center. Sure. Um, Steinsaltz Center is, is our, basically our doing business ads. We have few nonprofits and few profits, for-profit organizations and have to come up in one organization because otherwise, as you can imagine, it's never ending. So we have one name. That is the Steinsaltz Center. We're located in Jerusalem about a block away from the prime minister and two blocks away from my house, I'm not about that, and about 25 minutes from the old city. Uh, it's just, you know, it's one, it's an office suit. Basically what we do from here, we, we do two major things. One is we, we continue our, my father legacy. We, we never, we never under, we underestimated really, um, the amount of materials my father left, you know, we estimate, and this is just beginning stage of this estimate, we're about 80 books yet to come. Wow. And this is not including anthologies and, and uh, secondary commentary on things you already wrote, but just literally 80, maybe more books uh, we can compile together from his writing, from his work, that we can, um, that people can really benefit from it in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and um, that's the main, main job of, of what we do. We, that, so that's one thing, to basically to map everything we have, to start producing it, start bringing it up to the people. The second part we do, we work very hard on, is our app. 
we are working now tremendously in the last, um, last couple of years to bring all my father works to an online digital platform. It'll be available, accessible to everybody again worldwide. We will, of course, we'll have to have it custom made. So if you want a white label for your university or for your synagogue, for your church, if you have all the materials you need, we can provide only what you need. If you teach only the 20 chapters of numbers, so to speak, so you have a you have an app that will only concentrate on those 20 chapters. And you can go back and forth, you can learn them, you can read them, and so on and so forth. So that is the two major things we do. Under that, we have a whole plethora of things from uh, educational uh, systems to curriculum building to to inter, interfaith dialogue, you name it. We do it all, but we try to keep it in a very clear path. What we do is not, in a sense, religious work. Our main interest in, in the goal that my father may have seen peace defined is knowledge. What do you do with it, how you take it and how you move it forward, that's all up to you. We're not stopping you, God forbid. <laughs> you know, whatever you want with it, but really we give you the keys. And what kind of, a, you know, keys or the spoon, whatever, it depends on the allegory that you like. And whatever you like, we will provide it. We'll give you the information and do whatever you want. Our biggest deal is, in a sense, is that we never, we try, not, ne- you know, never is too much, never say never again, right? Is we try constantly to, um, to basically give you the, the tools. We're not trying, literally, we're not trying to solve all your problems. We're not trying to solve, give you all the answers. We actually want you to, to do the work by yourself, to, to feel comfortable with the text. It's become your text, not only mine. Become something that you can learn from it. So in a sense, I'm giving you the spoon and the bowl of soup. I'm not willing to do this action for you. But the action of eating the soup, that's up to you. You know, the famous line, if, if we can bring Muhammad to the mountain, but we can't make him, you know, and we can bring, bring, the horse, bring the horse to the water, but I can't even bring the water to the horse. But if he's not going to put his head down and drink, I can't do anything about it. So our goal is to provide, you know, provide the best material. And that, by the way, that's the reason we, for example, choose a publisher, current publishing, is because the way they produce material the way it's talked, the visuality, the comfortability, the, the ability of them to expand and to, to reach everybody, it's outstanding. And therefore, we know we're very happy that we choose them specifically in order to provide a more of a, a pleasant experience for it. Horan does indeed do a terrific job with their publications. We're looking at the Edits Concise series today, published under Koran's Magid label, along with the Steinsalt Center. These are beautifully published hardbacks, color-coded by volume, really pleasing for those who love books. Now, there are four volumes in this Steinsaltz series, The Concise Guide to Torah, to the Sages, to Mashavah, and to Halakha. Tell us about this collection. So the goal is we, you know, if you look around in your library, library, you look in my library, there's too many books. There are too many books to learn. Even if I won't learn the entire Talmud, Again, you can do it about a seven years. Or if you learn the entire corpus of Jewish law, three years. If, if you learn, <laughs> you want to contemplate Jewish, um, it, it's never ending. There's too much information. One of the things we try to do over here is 
again, is the same notion. We're trying to bring people the first spoon. I'm afraid if I give you a spoon is too big or the soup is too large or too hot, you're not going to take the step forward. So we, we took, actually, my father is the one who chose what would be in. What was the right thing to put as the premises of what a person needs to learn? Obviously, it's not everything. Obviously, there can be hundreds of, of a different variation of this. But this is what he chose. To do so, we choose this for. For first of all, in the Torah, Torah is in our way, in our perception, Torah is when God speaks to man, right? That is the first notion. God speaks to man, and the way we choose the translation, the commentary we use here, obviously based on what he did and, and wrote, but it's not elaborate. It's very light. The, the reading, the, it's very fluid. That's the main purpose of it. You can read it. If you want to go sleep with it, I know it's, it's a bit thick. I'm afraid you're not going to fall on you when you sleep, but it's very comfortable read. And that was the goal here. The goal is to make people acquainted with the text. Something that we can say, not, that's interesting. I never read it this way. That we, the commentator is almost not felt. That is, the commentator is almost clear. It's almost a scene through commentary. Light, comfortable, and that was a Torah, because again, it's a basic book. We can't get more basic than that. The second book, the book of the sages, referred to the major Jewish work from second century BC to, to, uh, to, uh, to about seventh century, seventh, eighth century. And the, the idea over there is to begin to take this massive collection of books and compile them again together to a much short version. So people can read them based on, on a life cycle, yearly cycle, and ideas that we think are extremely important to remember, and they keep repeating in the Jewish canon and repeating themselves also in the Jewish um, life cycle. So, you know, you have, i give example, keeping the Sabbath is mentioned in the Torah, but also mentioned in the sages in a variety of times and places. That second book. The third book took the 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 machshava, the, 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 the thought, so to speak, deal with the Jewish traditions and text from 15th century on, which are basically the Musa movement, which was a basically self-reflection, almost like the the Puritan church writings of the again. I know it's not the same century, but 15th, 16th century was very popular. Of self-reflection and, and atonement and, and good and bad. That is one way of thought. Then is the Hasidic masterpiece, which is all about the Hasidic masters who, who came in the 17th century, who brought a new illumination to Judaism based on the individual ability to reach God on an individual level without the necessity of reading everything and knowing everything and being as devout as the most holy of people. Um, so, so that was the, 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 and the third part is some, some glimpses on Jewish mysticism, the way it's depicted in the, in the Kabbalah and the Zohar. Again, it's just a glimpse. It's not, again, it's not going to make you crazy. It's just to make it some, show you, you know, the way the thinking, the way the word, the way it works. That is the third book. The fourth book is dealing with Jewish law. The normally, the corpus of Jewish law is tremendous. It's like any other, like any other law offices, you know, if you go into any of the major law offices worldwide, you will realize that, you know, they're, they're so tremendous, they're so big, so it's too much information. The problem with the Jewish Jewish law is also supposed to be 
very practical because you're supposed to conduct your life with this law. So we took all the Jewish law that we can get our hands on and we assemble a group of team of, of rabbinical councils that can actually compile all of it to one book. And it's actually is the largest book in this collection because again, it's a lot of information, very practical and teaches you almost everything you need to do about Jewish life from the moment you are born to the moment you move on. You know, it's all there. And the big deal is we try to keep the line, ask your local rabbi to minimum. Again, we do, sometimes we don't have a choice, but the idea that if somebody reads any of these books, you will get a more than a sensible sense on what it is, what is Judaism about. And we hope that people who read this book will take the next step forward and buy more books and all be interested more. And I'll repeat it, our agenda is not to make people more religious or less religious, depending on regardless of what religion is. Just give them open, give them the keys, spoons in a lot of ways to move forward, to open their eyes to the vast, vast knowledge of Judaism. Now, I saw that there is actually a fifth volume already published separately, and that goes well with this series. It's on the Talmud, right? So the, the, the fifth book, is actually, it's a reprint. It's a reissue of an old book we have called The Reference Guide of the Talmud, which really does the same thing for the Talmud itself, as it was our main book, and main, and main, uh, and main enterprise. We added to it, but it's really just a re, remake of it. It will look exactly the same, part of the same series. But because we thought it was the same topic, so we should combine them as a package, as a something that you know people can see that there is a progress. But it's it's the same idea. It is something that give you the premises of what is the Talmud. Over there, it's a bit more detailed. So why was created, how it was created, what's the basic language, what's the basic commentary, what's the what is the regular flow of the text, and so on and so forth. Rabbi Meni, I'm so grateful that you spent this time with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. You had mentioned publishing maybe 80 more books in the future. Can you remind us what publications are on the immediate horizon? Right. So, so immediately, immediately on the horizon, I said, is the, is the, is the new volume of the Tanya, as I mentioned, the first principal book of Lubavitch, of Chabad, will be available hopefully in the next two months. Um, that's again, it's in English. It's a, it's a commentary in the two volumes there. One deal with the, the spiritual essence of the world why every action is important, why we think that there's a divine providence, that God basically take care of everything we do. Sorry that today we don't need it. Today we have Google for that. Obviously, if you're missing, you know, Google watching everything you do, right, big brother? So God is the biggest brother of them all. But again, the book is talking about that. Again, it's very spiritual based on Jewish mysticism. And so that's going to come up, I'll put in two and a half months, uh, be available in the market. And as I mentioned, big, big deal, is our app. The, the, the Steinfeld's daily study is, uh, I think is a must have, of course, in every household as, uh, you know, something to learn every day, something to see, something to be peculiar, come with the pictures, the colors, the everything you want. You have, uh, not better of a gamification. And, you know, that's the, that's the beautiful next, um, next six months. Then we have a whole bunch of. Friends, you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.